just kind of checking in. Uh, I didn't do a formal introduction uh, for this pod for this episode of That Girl with the Curl, so I just wanted to kind of uh, get a couple of things out of the way before you start listening to the wonderful and talented uh, Frank Ferrante, who is the uh, one-man show of uh, uh, An Evening with Groucho. He plays Groucho Marx, essentially. And uh, uh, basically, uh, it was me, him, uh, my friend Alec, who I've known uh, for, God, about eight years now. Uh, He also knew Frank, so we just kind of uh, went in on this together. Uh, Interviewed him at the Act Theater in Seattle, where he's uh, doing a return show for for An Evening with Groucho that's running from August 7th to the 24th. So by the time you're listening to this, it will have at least started um, or will be finished. So if you're in the Seattle area and you happen to uh, be able to go out and see it, please do. I encourage it entirely. It's an amazing show, and I've seen it uh, at this point. By the time you're listening to it, I'll have seen it twice. So uh, just keep that in mind. Uh, we'll, we're also joined by Drea Weber uh, towards the end there, who was the director, who is the director of the show. So, uh, yeah, if, so if there are some um, audio issues, uh, d- you know, don't be too concerned about that. We were you know, recording in the space, so uh, there might be some reverb, some echo uh, from time to time. So don't worry about the audio quality. It's still pretty good. Um, and this is where you say, well, Sam, you know, it's not never been that good to begin with, so why are you even warning us? And then I go, nah, you're right. So I just wanted to touch base with you guys. Uh, you un- you know all the deets. Uh, please go to uh, Facebook and find Frank uh, as well as an, e- an evening with Groucho, and uh, find out where it's playing. Uh, talk to him. He's awesome. I you know I could talk to him for hours. I mean we barely scratched the surface in this. Uh, podcast, so hopefully I will be able to do a uh, second interview with with Frank at some point in the future where we can get into more stuff, because I could have talked for four hours with him, and uh, certainly he would have obliged me if he'd had the time to, so uh, once again, I just wanted to check in with you guys. Please enjoy uh, this podcast with Frank Ferrante, myself, my friend Alec, and uh, Drea Weber, and uh, yeah, uh, catch you at the next episode. I guess start just okay. um, with your background in theater. Like, what what got you into uh, to being on stage? Um, at, you know, when you were younger. Um, what what got me into? Um, you know, did you always want to be an actor? I guess or? I did when I, since I was a kid, mm-hmm. and I saw. Um, you know, I grew up watching television, mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, from the time I was very little, and mm-hmm. I thought Lucille Ball was my aunt you know, because <laughs> I mean, it's my earliest earliest memories are of Lucille Ball and. The Lucy Show in the mm-hmm. late '60s, and used to watch uh, Paul Winchell, the great ventriloquist, with his dummies, um, Knucklehead Smith and, and Jerry Mahoney, and he was he was frighteningly good. He, I mean, yeah. they were they were real to me, and I must have been two, three years old. This is the mid '60s, late '60s, okay. and that was done at that time. He was a national star from the time for a long time, but this show was a local show in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So I loved the show, and it was a clubhouse setup with Paul Winchell. And it was, uh, you know, it was uh, Mahoney. It was it was a Winchell Mahoney time, and so it had funny little songs. It was felt like a review, and it was it was in, it was he got lost in the show. He was masterful. Mm-hmm. So I, I liked entertainment when I was little, and mm-hmm. so I was a you know, self-conscious, kind of shy kid, and it seemed like a fun fun way to be. A way to express business. yourself. And, 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 and I, I didn't even think of that way. I guess I just. I just thought they were having so much fun, mm-hmm. these guys on the screen. And so I got, I remember getting those dummies, you know, when I was a boy, three, yeah. four years old, a, knuckle, a knucklehead Smith dummy. I still had it for many, many years. <laughs> and so I would, you know, I would act out with these dummies, mm-hmm. these ventriloquist dolls. So that's that was my entree with it. And then, uh, and then I discovered the Marx Brothers when I was about nine years old. Was uh, did you see did you see Harpo on Lucy on Lucy no, uh, at all? Or? No, I hadn't watched the uh, the uh, the original I Love Lucy. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, yet mm-hmm. discovered it a little later, but uh, I, a friend of mine in Sierra Madre, California, where I grew up, uh, he was uh, this one of the like I said one of the few 
Jewish kids in the, I think, in Saramondra, and I was with a few Italians, I think. And it's, you know what I mean? I, I, can, I can attest to that. Right? Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> so he had a whole, he came from a whole different world than I come from, and culturally. Mm-hmm. When he, I loved this guy, and he was funny, and his family was wonderful, and and the Marx Brothers was very much part of their world, and and uh, so he knew about the Marx Brothers because of the sensibility, the Jewish sensibility, the outsider yeah. sensibility of the Marx Brothers, and they were his people in a way, mm-hmm. you know. They, and he said, you know, I was nine. He says, Frank, you got to put the TV set on and watch this movie. And it was a day at the races, and I just was <laughs> like, I, I was totally mesmerized by by the Marx Brothers, and their and, and Groucho particularly was mm-hmm. was. Um, yeah, he was. He felt like a, I just related. To, I wanted to be like him. I wanted to speak the way he spoke, and yeah. and kid the way he kid, and get away with what he got away. With. <laughs> you know, it was really exciting to see. And I remember feeling like 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 lightning bolts hitting me. You know, oh wow! Just being thrilled by him. Did it feel to you like this was a rare instance where obviously you are a very young kid, but there's an adult performer who's behaving in a way that you immediately connect with? Yeah, I think he would, because, I mean, I, I, I mean, I didn't analyze it, certainly, at the time. But I, I really, I was, <laughs> you didn't? No. Uh, but, but I think what I... That was I, when you were 11. Yeah, right. That's 11 and a half. But uh, I felt that uh, that he was so free and wild, mm-hmm. and that was really exciting. And uh, I, I, at the time, was being... I was going to school, and I was in Catholic school, and I was taught by <laughs> nuns, and there was one that, one nun that was particularly abusive mm-hmm. in third grade, and um, it was scary. Yeah. And we were frightened, all of us. And I saw really some horrible things happen to some of the kids in my class. And I was paralyzed in class. And none of us could tell our parents that the kids were being hit or thrown across the room or wow. peeing in the classroom out of fear, you know. Yeah. And so this didn't seem like a really, this didn't seem like a great thing here. It's mm-hmm. part of my life uh, with religion. And uh, the Marx Brothers, I discovered them around that same time. I thought, these guys. I wish I could behave like these guys. Yeah. Because they wouldn't take this. They would take the nun and throw her out of the <laughs> classroom. Right. But we were we were petrified. Mm-hmm. We saw, we were petrified in that classroom. It was some horrible things that went on. There were some great nuns I had too who helped me get where I am. Who who encouraged my interest in performing. Was mm-hmm. the first show you ever did at at Saint Rita's? Yeah, I think the <laughs> first time I got out? big laughs ah, was at Saint there Rita's. There you go. And I, <laughs> Excellent. And I, That's the moment. I played at this at this Catholic school in eighth grade. I ended, I um. I was the master of ceremonies for a, a talent show, and I say that Perfect. in quotations for talent. And, you know, it was like the, it was like an epic, epic afternoon, and it went on. Seemed like it went on for hours, and I was the, and at the very end, I made some crack like you know, none of the acts were any good, so nobody wins the big prize at the end, something like that. As well. And I got a huge laugh from everyone, first graders to the acres. Everyone is because I spoke the truth, right. and that's another thing that's great about the Marshalls. They're just telling the truth. They are. They're in the moment. Yeah. And they can do it. They fight. They know mm-hmm. why they fight. And none of us were, you know, we're not taught. We can't fight when we're kids. We just do what anyone tells us, mm-hmm. whether it's your parents or your teachers or, or most or any adult. No. So I think that was the the. It was the. I was exhilarated by. I use that word often in in relation to my discovery of them. And mm-hmm. when you're a kid, you think you're the only one who knows. I didn't think anyone else knew who the Marshals were. Yeah. So it was my private world. I thought, gee, I found these guys. No one else. And so my <laughs> mission was to like write on the chalkboard. You know. Duck soup on Wednesday night, eight o'clock, Channel Five, KTLA. Oh, KTLA, nice! Right, so um, and then they'd be marked for those week back when there was only three or four channels mm-hmm. and no internet and <laughs> no cable and you know and. and um, How did you live? Yeah, right. <laughs> and so, but so I was kind of I became a proponent, of, you know, in a way, mm-hmm. an advocate for for that. I wanted people to know about what this this thing I love so much. I don't know why. Maybe I thought that they, because I got so much out of it that others might. I think that's. And so I'm still doing it, forty, you know, forty something years later. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm still kind of trying to, you know, it's it's like missionary work. I love, <laughs> you know what I mean? I feel like yeah, I go from spreading town, the good word. You know, my, my uncle is a Catholic priest. His father Frank Ferrante, and he oh. goes, so you have done more than I'll ever do as a priest. So you go around, you get to make people laugh, you go from town to town. It's it's, it's a great, mm-hmm. it's a great mission you have, you know. And I, I, I I'm always kind of taken aback by that remark because I don't see myself that way. I see myself as a performer, and I get laughs, and it's a job I do, and I love it, and I'm passionate about it, but. But uh, as I get older, I get more philosophical about about how I'm spending my time, which is, you know, every I get I'm lucky because I've been working almost straight for 30 years. Yeah, that's I'd amazing. I'd say with barely a break, and and doing 
uh, mostly comedy related work and, mm -hmm. and now it's alternating from a couple of different roles that dominate my life <laughs> you, know? And, you know and I direct plays yeah. as well which is mm -hmm. also something that requires you to be quick on your feet and improvise yeah and uh, and, and be present and so I'm fortunate so I get to hear laughter a lot and I get to mm -hmm. make people laugh I, you know I, I need, and I'm always trying to figure out how to get that desired result and like give people a good time. Well, and laughter is that that kind of it's a very unifying thing. But you know, not not just with the Marx Brothers, but with anything you find. Like I had that with Python. Yeah, yeah. Um, when I found that, I was just kind of like, does anyone know about this? Yeah. Like, and, and they're a direct descendant of the Marx Brothers. If yeah. Me, that kind of hit there's their, just their like, humor. There's just this like um, you know uh, hierarchy of comedy mm -hmm. or this like hereditary nature of comedy where right. everyone's influenced by everyone else. Right. And, and uh, the Marxes, are, I think, are way up there on the list. Of, oh yeah. You know, from, Seinfeld to Mel Brooks to yeah exactly like you know, to that kind of humor John Stewart to any you know any of the wise guys mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. well we were we were talking about when we were looking in the rafters uh, watching <laughs> for a little bit because <laughs> uh, um, uh, did you ever watch Animaniacs at all did you ever see that cartoon uh, yeah I did that was very Marx Marx Brothers exactly race, but so then again it was Bugs Bunny mm -hmm. who's a direct was directly modeled after Groucho. Fritz, yeah. Fritz Freeling. I remember seeing him on Dinah Shore, <laughs> Shore in the 1970s talk about the uh, creation of Bugs Bunny. So well, it was Groucho. Right. Mm -hmm. The nasal, and what's up? Well, Groucho is like, you know, the nasal sound in the... You know, yeah. <laughs> the carrot was a cigar. And, the, and, 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 and those, they're like many Marx Brothers movies. You know, there's mm -hmm. the authority figures. There's Elmer Fudd. And, and it's great. And they, they're ripping things apart. And there's plenty of surreal moments. And it's very, <laughs> very Marxian. Shattering of the fourth wall. Yeah. Right, right, yeah, yeah. First time I ever became right. aware of that was, of course, in... Animal Crackers. Mm -hmm. When he starts the talking. The weird, strange interlude. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At the time, of course, the first time I saw it was so bizarre for me. It was like, you know, this this makes no sense. And then as I got older, I went, this is actually kind of a stroke of brilliance. And then seeing it in the show or yeah, allusions he's, to he's it. parodying, you know, uh, Eugene O'Neill. Yeah, exactly. Uh, monologues and throwaways <laughs> and, and then you realize that at the time when they were on Broadway in 1928 doing Animal Crackers, Eugene O'Neill is... On Broadway, his two, work two is doors being, down, yeah, basically. Is, is, so they're making fun of something that's right then and there. The yeah. stock market crashes, there are stock market references. And, you know, so at the time, it's... You know, Mitty it's, the Moocher, things like that. Yeah, it's hard yeah. to imagine, really, how how potent their their act was now because mm -hmm. they were making topical references. I mean, I try to keep this current as <laughs> I can and by, by interacting with an audience. Right. Mm -hmm. I can't just go up and just do, I don't just do stories or tell the jokes or sing the song. I used to when I first started doing that. That was what I was going to ask because I've always been curious about the trajectory of the show and where it began. Because I'll, I'll admit it, like the first time I came and saw you was in 2008 at the Mount Baker Theater in Bellingham. Oh, yeah. Tiny little venue. And right. you know, my wife had bought tickets and she goes, this, this guy's amazing. I've been looking at videos of him right. on YouTube and I'm going... I don't really need to see a Groucho Marx impersonator. Yeah. I've seen that at Universal Studios. Yeah, I, I don't blame you. But then to come to the show with the oh, the arms folded and the chin down. <laughs> I remember you. From that. I remember you from that. The uh, jerk in the back row with his uh, with uh, with our uh, scriptwriting professor, no, seventy five years old, yeah. sitting next to me, going, "Well, this is a, a really happening evening for a guy yeah. in his twenties to be hanging out here." And just the the transformation, not only in terms of my perception, but with the audience at large, due in huge part to the fact that you alternated between the the Groucho then and then snap here's Groucho Marx in a contemporary position with the improvisation the riffing on the audience things like that and that was what elevated it for me and now okay. everybody who comes to me going I'm really interested in the Marx Brothers it's okay. like you don't understand <laughs> the Marx Brothers are almost the I know that you know with all due praise to you as being the greatest living interpreter of Groucho Marx's legacy at this point for me it's always like that's that's almost selling what you do short. Because if you're talking about missionary work, you're existing on two separate tracks at the same time. Right. You are paying homage, you know, homage to the to what came before, but you have also reshaped it. And I see that every time I come and see the show. There's like a little more. There's a little more. There's a little more. Yeah. And so is that is that something that you actively did, or did it just kind of? I think I do it organically. I don't. <clears throat> I don't like. I'm not big on tribute shows. I, yeah. I really appreciate people who can do imitations and impersonations. Because I think that's a hell of a skill. Yeah, that's a great skill. But I'm not. I'm not really an, an impersonator. Mm -hmm. I've always I'm trained as an actor, and but I've done the show for this is my 30 years. I've done it for 400 cities. <laughs> I've done thousands of performances. Just got so, back from Australia. Yeah, yeah. well, that's, th that's an interesting thing. It's like <laughs> the point is, people. I my I contend that 90% of the audience that I get, maybe more, doesn't know is not familiar with his work anymore. Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe 98%. Yeah. Uh, there, and we have those, that few percent that do know, really know, and love him. And there's some that kind of have a, have a vague 
awareness of him. So the show has to stand up, yeah. whether they know him or not. And the fact that they still respond to respond to me, I think, says a lot about the time and effort that's gone in over the years. And I, I don't like talking, blowing my horn, but it has, it has to. But it has to do with uh, You've done the time. You know, in a way, it's it's because I've done it so often, mm-hmm. and that I care about it, and I'm, I'm trying to reshape it, and 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 play with it, and and experiment mm-hmm. with timings and how far I can go with an audience, and how much I can actually lay back with an audience and just mm-hmm. kind of just have a dialogue with them sometimes like he did in You Bet Your Life. But even make it feel like they could be in his living room talking. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so I'm playing with ma- manic energy. I'm playing with the laid back energy. That's what I'm doing. So I'm trying to see what is working. And, and it's different from town to town. Yeah. I play very conservative <clears throat> parts of the country. I play very progressive, more progressive <laughs> areas of the country. I mean, I, I play tiny towns. I play major towns. And so I have to adjust in the moment constantly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's exhausting psychically, it's, <laughs> but it's very rewarding because it's the only way. I, I, I don't want to bomb. I never want to lose. I never want to fail. Has there and ever I feel been... like I'm representing him, yeah. which is a big deal. And I'm also representing him. This is my, a, yeah. a chunk of my life. Now, I do it three months, four months out of the year. So people think that's all you do, but it's... it's <laughs> Have they seen your frequent fire miles? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but it, is a big, it is a constant in my life. And there's other things, as you know, they do like with this... Cirque world that I, I do an original character and I direct plays and and little things in between different things that that constitute a career and a year of employment from year to year, <laughs> but uh, but that you know that this, this it's it's been fun to get older with the with the role you know I think I first did it when I was 21 20, you know, years old in a church yeah. hall in Saramonga. Yeah. As part of a project at USC, University of Southern California had something called directed research. It was uh, it was uh, it was 490. It was the name of those the class <laughs> directed research, and basically you do whatever you want to do. And I and I said, well, Frank, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm you know I'm big I'm comedy buff. I love to be in comedy performance. I specifically like Groucho. And so why don't you put on a show about him? I said, okay. And <laughs> Professor William White at SC was a guide for me, and said, and so I found the script, and I got the script from Elaine Stretch. Who uh, you know was a Broadway legend who just passed away, and mm-hmm. I didn't quite know how, you know, how lofty she, you know, what a legend she was at the time. I was 19. Yeah. And so I get pre-internet, you know, that's just yeah. So so, so I bought the, the news. I bought the album of Company, the the LP, and I'm mm-hmm. playing, and I'm hearing going, here's the ladies, home lunch, and that's, <laughs> oh, that's Elaine Stretch. I get so I'm getting an education. So I'm calling her on the phone, you know, you know, and typing letters and mailing her letters about using a script that used to be. Her late husband. Her husband died in 1982. I didn't realize it was that recent. Now it's mm. 1983, and I'm going. Can I use your husband's script for the show I'm doing at the University of Southern California? <laughs> and um, and you know, so I we went back and forth, back and forth. I didn't realize that she's probably still in mourning, and, and uh, mm. she was. She, I don't think she stopped being in mourning. You know, and uh, I saw her. It was a great her um, documentary on her, and uh, that's worth seeing. Um, but anyway, I digress. The point is, I finally. Find out. I find out that she's going to be on the Tonight Show of the Johnny Carson, 1983. So I, I sent a note backstage, dear Mr. Rich, Frank Franny, the guy who would like to do the show. Um, I'd love to talk to you afterward, and I hope you know I break a leg tonight on the Tonight Show. And I sent the note back, and I got a note back, Frank, uh, looking forward to seeing you, uh, you know. And so after the show, Tonight Show appearance, I wait for her, and she comes to meet me. Wow. And she awesome. says, sure, you have permission to use the script. And so this Broadway legend has said, use my, you know, so I'm like this 19-year-old, 20-year-old kid, and now I have this Marx Brothers script, which mm-hmm. has changed completely since 1984 when I first did it to 2014. But she, mm-hmm. this great woman of the theater gave me this this property wow. that allowed me to have a starting point, a place to jump off. Yeah. And that's what I did. I jumped. and But USC gave me this opportunity to, to find the show, find the piano player, get a director, raise the money to put it on. I learned about producing and performing and you know creating a one-man show. Mm-hmm. It was a, it, I think of it now, that it took a lot of... <laughs> the audacity of you. It's great. It's fun spot, really, right? Yeah. 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 And uh, so that's what happened. And so I invited uh, I invited one, uh, Groucho Marx's son, Arthur Marx, to see me at USC. And I invited Groucho Marx's daughter, Miriam. Now, the year is 1985. Groucho's been dead since 1977. He died mm-hmm. when he was 86 years old. Maury Riskin shows up, who co-wrote Animal Crackers and mm-hmm. 
Night at the Opera, mm -hmm. Coconuts. He's 89 years old. And they're in the audience at, at USC in 1985. Wow. No pressure, right? No, right. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I remember being so nauseous right Goodness. before going, I, I'm insane. Yeah. The Gus it takes to go up and play. It's like, you know, hi. You know, and they're in the audience. It was a, it was like meant to be. I mean, from the time I was 15, though, in Sarah Monterey in my little bedroom there, I used to say, God, you know, it'd be great to make, you know, I don't know who I was talking to, but I would love to make people laugh the way Groucho Marx makes me laugh. Mm -hmm. That was my fervent prayer. And I, and, and I kept seeing it. I kept seeing it. I kept, and I remember seeing the Pasadena Playhouse, and I was a kid. I'm going to play there one day. Mm -hmm. I would see that was at the Bing Theater at USA. I'm going to play there one day. And that's where I did this first version. I went to, it was at, you know, in the church hall, but on campus, it was in the Bing Theater. And there was the Marx family, Arthur and Miriam, his kids, and Maury Riskin. The show went well. People stood up at the end of the show. And I, I looked at the video. I have a video of that oh, show. Wow. And I looked at it recently. And you I, see I, your son now running around up there. Just, yeah. Who's this kid? Bizarre. <laughs> High-pitched voice. Right, I know, right? And Miriam jokes about Groucho. Miriam goes, I remember you called me, Frank, to invite me to the show. She said, Hi. And she always does this high pitch. Like, Hi, my name's Frank Ferrante, and I'm at USC. It's like, Miriam, every time you tell the story, my voice goes up. The next time you tell it, only dogs will be able to hear what you're saying. So, Since but, you're howling in the yeah, right? But anyway, so that's what happened. And Arthur Marks is a playwright, was a playwright. He passed away in 2011 at age 89. He was one of my closest friends, and he always referred to me as his best friend, and he was like a father to me for many, many years. Mm. And... Um, he said, if I ever do a show again about my father, and he had a, a show that was tooling around with Gabe Kaplan, uh, he said he'd use me. So I graduated from SC, and within three months, I'm in Kansas City in a dinner theater uh, performing Groucho. I'm being paid. I would have done it for free. I wouldn't want to yeah. Was that a life in review? That was a life in review. Excellent. And that's a show that Arthur Marks wrote with Robert Fisher. And, and in that show, I, I played Groucho. I was 23 years old, 22 <laughs> years old, playing Groucho from age 15 to 86. Wow. So, and uh, it was a, it went really well, mm -hmm. and we got great reviews. And the guys that owned that dinner theater in Kansas City, Hennessy and Carruthers, who are still producing 40 years <laughs> later. Sound like Marx Brothers characters themselves. Right? <laughs> and Carruthers, they said they, they raised the money to take the show to New York. Wow. And here I am now. I'm 22. I'm going to go to New York. <laughs> I mean, I go from USC. I mean, this is crazy. I, I kept you know I thought you know my plan was to go to. UCLA has got a great theater producing program. Mm -hmm. A guy named John Cobble at the time ran this program that was renowned. And uh, I had help from, I had, my teachers were going to help me get into this. You know, I had okay, I had pretty good grades, not great grades, but they were going to, but I, they saw that I was passionate and I was bright and certainly interested. It. I wanted it <laughs> yeah. more than anything. And I liked to, you know, I figured I'm not going to be a performer. It seems like ludicrous. I don't come from it. And it's, I was embarrassed to say I wanted to be an actor. I mean, that seems like such a, I don't know, it just seems odd. You know, <laughs> and it's a make-believe. It puts a real stigma on you immediately. Yeah, right, you know, it's what's wrong with him, you know. And, and you know, but you think that. It's a, it's a, it's a bold move to say, I'm going to be in the arts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be, you know, it's a risky thing. Then everybody you know? lines up to tell you, well, you're, that's cute. Yeah, yeah. What do you really want to do? Yeah, when yeah. You yeah. When that doesn't work out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, but do you I, have a backup? Like, 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 real estate true. My father was in finance. My mother was a housewife. And, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nothing was gonna, you know, that was a foreign, that was foreign territory. Yeah. But so, but but it was kind of given to me, it handed to me. I mean, I, I mean, I had great breaks in there, you know. I, but I I invited them, they came. I had a show, yeah. they came. You have to create it. Yeah. And I always tell young, you know, now I do, I'm doing outreach, and I go to, I perform on universities that have performing arts centers, and sometimes I do outreach, and I say, have a one man show. I tell my peers, have a show, whether you get paid or not. If you're gonna be in a a tiny space. At least you have a show. Sometimes you'll get paid. Sometimes you won't get paid. You know, I I happen to like love this man that people, that who actually made an impact on on pop, on pop culture. You know, mm -hmm. on, yeah, you know, yeah. And and interna on an international level. So I picked the right guy. I could have picked Shemp, who I love, <laughs> or or Bob Hope. But, but there's yeah. there's limitations in terms of their. Uh, I don't see I you think. with Shemp's haircut. No, I have to I say. Love, <laughs> I love, I love How are you at so, golfing? Yeah. <laughs> so that so I, I kind of picked the right guy, and it turned out I looked enough like him. Uh. To know that the features were close enough. The fact that you haven't really aged since you were about 35. I think. I, well, that's good. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Flattering. I know. You know what it is? If I haven't aged, it's because I like what I do. So yeah. I don't, I don't feel any older than. 35. If you don't mm -hmm. heed time, time has no sway over you. It's sort yeah. of, you know, eventually you will wake up one day and be 70, but up until yeah. about that point where it becomes an undeniable truth, 
You're just kind of coasting. Well, I still never be doing groucho. <laughs> I don't feel my age, and to me it's bizarre. Well, I see you do those push-ups and jump over the couch every single damn show that I come and see, and you certainly don't look like you're 51 years old. Yeah, it's, that kind of it's such a, I can't it's do that such a now physically demanding role. I mean, for you to have to, I mean, you're running across stage, you're yeah. up and down, I mean, you're, uh, you know, the rafters and everything, you know, you're, you're yeah. and I think, you know, what you said about uh, you could have picked anybody to, to impersonate, real, I mean, if, if you know, come down to brass tacks, and yeah. you, you pick a, a person whose humor just kind of um, transcends you know, time. All, yeah, time, and, culture. I mean, yeah. those those jokes. I mean, you you say that you keep it fresh, but even the older jokes are still just as good. I mean, yeah. and it all depends on the the timing and you know who you're interacting with. And, well, and he has a point of view. You know, some someone's you know people that don't know that was there. There were some corny jokes. I mean, yeah, there, some of the, they were purposely they were corny in 1928. Mm-hmm. That was purposeful. <laughs> you know, one morning I shot an elephant in my pajamas. How I got my pajamas, I don't know. But it's a funny <laughs> joke, but it gets you know, and 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 the and the puns. Got groans in 1928, and they get groans in 19 in 2014. Mm-hmm. They're they're puns, yeah. you know. And, uh, you, know and, you know, you smile and you go, oh man, I can't believe you t- did that. But it's, everybody knows that joke. The minute you lead into it, you start yeah. hearing the audience go, Whoa. Right. you know, everybody's leaning into the groan. It's right. like. But it's of just course. that it's that amount of wordplay thing because the you know they're puns but they're also the kind of humor that everyone can get on board with. Yeah, I you think know. so. Well, you know, I I I played Australia just. Couple weeks ago, for yeah, four yeah. <laughs> for four weeks. Still be adjusting to this time. Yeah, I though. know. I feel like I'm still tired from it in a way. But, wow. uh, but uh, I did four weeks, and I thought he's Groucho himself never played Australia, mm-hmm. and how are they going to get? They're going to have context for this. I mean, no, this is an English-speaking country, but you know, yeah. he never stepped foot on the continent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now they got the movies. They didn't really get You Bet Your Life, mm-hmm. and but they haven't gotten the movies since the 30s, 40s. Yeah. And where are they seeing it? Mm-hmm. On the internet, mm-hmm. on television? They're still getting. Now, I realize Australians, after being there, for the, you know, they absorbed everything American and English. Mm-hmm. But I still thought this is going to be Cricket City for me. And the first, <laughs> and the, and the first, <laughs> and the first performance was in Byron Bay, which is in New South Wales. I thought I started getting shaken. Go, oh my gosh, this is. Why am I doing this? Is insane. They're not going to get it. <laughs> yeah. They and they, and I got out there and I just you breathe and you just kind of jump off the cliff and you hope that you don't bomb and the audience was great and they laughed at all the same things they laugh in the show when I do it in Boston or New York or Seattle or Paducah mm-hmm. and uh, you know and so and but louder and they they got it because you know it's the cult the, the culture it's a fun loving overall fun loving people mm-hmm. like a laid back folk they love humor they know how to have a good time and they got the, they got his teasing sense of humor they, mm-hmm. they're they're big on humor and they laughed at everything, and, and it, it, I was very well received. But I have to tell you, it's and there were a lot, plenty of Marshallville fans in Australia, and people that were coming up to me and talking to me in different ages. Mm-hmm. It was very affirming. I thought, my God, I'm getting laughs in another another land. And yeah. I've done it before. When in Amsterdam, I was there with this this character, the Caesar character, this Latin lover character <laughs> that I created for this Cirque show I do called Teatro Zanzani. I've been doing this for 15 years, mm-hmm. 1,200 performances in San Francisco, Seattle. And then, uh, then I was hired. Someone, a, a guy that I knew, had directed me um, in the states that are gonna, I'm gonna do a show like Teatro Zanzani called Palazzo in Amsterdam. Oh. Okay. Well, English is the second language. And my stuff, I do. And as Caesar, I still do punny stuff, and it's interactive. It's influenced by Groucho in that way, though. It's, it's, uh, but it's my own. Yeah. It's my own guy, and that's mm-hmm. very satisfying to kind of make people have laugh a, with your own person. Yeah, yeah, have a person that you crafted. I can't do this. Yeah, and, and come up with my own very defined look and sound and movement. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've done with this guy. And so I. You know, a bulk of my living is done with, with really with that character, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's very fun because I can also, you know, play with him and change him. I have full control. There's some, you know, certainly parameters of Groucho. There's a certain sound and a look and a movement. Right. But well, with, with the Caesar, I can I can come up. I can keep coming up with weirdness and quirkiness <laughs> and yes. I try to scare people with him. You know, no one knows what he is. He's you know, he loves everyone. You're a beautiful man. You're a beautiful woman. Mm-hmm. Is he straight? Is he gay? Is he... It's dangerous stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and it's scary. People, you know, people want to, ta- you know, want to really label you. Mm-hmm. And Groucho was scary. Groucho was scary. I remember the Rolling Stone obit said Groucho was funny, but also a little scary. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, and da- you know, he's dangerous. And because uh, we don't know what he's going to say. And, and he is telling the truth. And it's hard to hear the truth and see things. And mm-hmm. it's, sometimes, 
you know, there's tension when you watch him. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, te you know, people. I was spoke to someone. I did a radio show yesterday, and the the woman said, you know, watching him with Margaret Dumont made her tense. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that's the point. You don't know what what's it going to do. This is so improper. <laughs> this is ridiculous. This is horrifying. You're a little horrifying. guilty for laughing at this, but at but, the same time, you want to see what happens next. Yeah. yeah. And plus, he was, you know, he had a point of view. That's the thing. Groucho had a point of view, mm -hmm. and that's another reason we still like him and watch him. And that it tra transcends that you know he is calling a spade a spade. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's the under he's the outsider, you know, looking in. He's he's a anti-establishment figure. Yeah. And um, that never gets old. And I think and that he also does it in, with a, with great skill and craft. Exactly. I mean, I think comedy should be a little dangerous. Yeah. It should it should make you sit on the edge of your seat and be like, I have no idea what this person is going to say, and yet I'm riveted. Yeah, it's so wrong. The ones that make me, you know, people say well, nothing's funny to it. It's like that's that's, that's so not true. <laughs> Ricky Gervais makes me laugh hard. There you go. And he <laughs> makes me and he's and he is scary and he. You, he takes my breath away, mm -hmm. and uh, I can say the same thing for Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. That show, <laughs> I, I remember, it makes me laugh out loud. I mean, that that mm -hmm. is great. That is dangerous. He's so wrong. Mm -hmm. Both those those person, the the persona, the pers you know, is is wrong. Yeah. You know, it's dangerous, and and uh, so you can't say that, that nothing's funny anymore. It's just it's done in different, in a different medium. Yeah, you know? it's how and it's television, interpreted. You no, know, television is better than ever. You know, because of you know. There's so many great outlets. Oh my God, yeah. yeah HBO and show, you know, Showtime. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. But we didn't have that. I didn't have that when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. We went to the movies for something that of that. <laughs> I'm obviously speaking about obvious things, but but there's a lot of great comedy. Oh yeah. That's scary and dangerous and expert. And you go, how do they edit this so well? <laughs> you know, when I see Ricky Ricky Gervais and extras, it's like you got to be kidding. Me. I know. Yeah. Oh my God, you know? it's and that Larry, kind of Larry humor. Larry David and, and Kirby Enthusiasm. Those things are so beautifully, you know. Structured and mm -hmm. edited, and it, you, I shake my head. It's like it's, it looks like they spent years doing one episode. It's yeah. so beautiful, and the Marx Brothers are like that yeah. too. You know, I'm, I, I always think that, and and the same with also, um, yes, Sasha Baron Cohen is the same thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you go, oh my God! No way. Yeah. There's another comedian that just kills me. And know? the commitment and, that he puts into each character, oh, just it's like it's insane. I mean, I've seen every, and and the other one that does it for me is a. Uh, Dame Edna Everidge and Barry Humphrey. Oh, Barry Humphrey, yeah. Mm -hmm. And he's a big influence uh, on me in terms of, and, and and he's Australian. And I saw him first in London when I was playing Groucho when I was there when I was 24. And I went to see Dame Edna, and he was, you know, he's ruthless and brutally funny, mm -hmm. working the crowd, all the crowd work he he's, he does. But I think I've seen most of his stuff that's on online, on, on you know, on YouTube and. And he's he's breathtaking. He's still doing it. He's in his late seventies. Yeah. yeah. And so these are the, those are those are people that you know kill me. Ellen, I find hilarious, mm -hmm. and generous. I find Paula Paula Poundstone makes me laugh hard. We have to have you a know? great deal of respect for anybody who commits themselves to the art of making people laugh. Yeah. I would yeah. Think. And you know, you're in the trenches with yeah everybody who's doing it. So I would think that for a comedian with your level of experience, it'd be really and I'm sure you know. This, I'm sure this happens all the time with people who have achieved a certain level of success or have been doing it for a certain amount of time. Become judgmental, or, or you know, I'm going to set up a podium and determine what's funny and what's not. But for somebody who is again ostensibly writing two very separate rails of unique improvisational humor, like you're talking about the Larry David thing, right. your your improvisational segments are right there. Oh, you know, you. in terms of, of what I see, and Thanks. then uh, so the borscht belt, like old school. You know, really funny sort of song and yeah. dance type stuff as well. And so, you know, it I, I would think that sort of testimonial really actually means a lot, at least to somebody like well, me who's no, I appreciate a that, fan I, of comedy. I wonder mm -hmm. how it, you know, you're always wondering how it affects people. And, yeah. And last year, in the last two years here at Seattle, I mean, I mean Act Theater's given me three summers now to play three weeks, which is like, gives me a chance to get better. Yeah. Gives me a chance to experiment. Mm -hmm. Gives me a chance to get some kind of momentum going. Because I'm usually doing one-nighters in performing arts centers around the country and Canada. <laughs> yeah. So you got to go in there, you got to hit it, and, there, and sometimes there's not a lot of time for nuance and improvement. You know, mm -hmm. it's just you got to go there, you're shot out of a cannon, and you got to make people laugh. And, and in part because that's you know it's what you you know you've been paying a chunk of dough to make these people laugh for one performance only, and you may never return. Yeah, yeah. And those people that run, have that theater and somewhere in Massachusetts tell all the other theaters in Massachusetts. <laughs> There's a lot of pressure on that one gig because I want to keep doing this for another 30 years. And like, you're the Groucho guy. I mean, it's not yeah. like you're the semi-anonymous stand-up who is on America's Got Talent and who shows up, and yeah. whether you kill it or not, you're going to go to the next city. I mean, you mm -hmm. have to self-perpetuate, which yeah. to me is insane. I mean, it's, it's the closest thing that... I've seen, and again, with the sort of tunnel vision, you know, not being aware of, of other performers who are doing the same kind of 
format and approach you are. The closest thing to postmodern vaudeville, again, just that constant suitcase in one hand, yeah. coat draped over the other, like, let's get the <laughs> train yeah, to the next it's city. It's called a suitcase show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's because I literally travel with this, that's it, with just a carry well, Your schedule's insane. Bag. I mean, <laughs> well, just the picture that you posted with just yeah. with the duck and everything. That's why I travel it. And, and the <laughs> venues provide the furniture and the, the Steinway piano, but I just go with my, uh, my costume, a few hand props. And makeup, and that's that's what I do. Yeah. And um, but but I was getting back to what's affirming is when I'm in Seattle here at the Act Theater, there's a lot of 20-somethings that show up here. A lot of people from the University of Washington. A lot of students. And I'm going. That is a trend I'm seeing now, Mm -hmm. which makes me feel like okay, they get that this is hip. They get that this is irreverent. They get that this is a a classic form. Yeah. you feel like there's a, a rediscovery process so. think, going I on? I think every 20 years, every generation discovers it. In the 30s, they were big. In the 50s, they were big because Groucho was in Berlin. In the 70s, Groucho was an old man, and he was coming back again. In the 90s, tons of stuff came out in, in book form and on DVDs. Mm-hmm. And here we are again. You know, there's, there's a ton of things going on with the Marx Brothers. There's a Marx Fest celebration. There is Alsatias is being revived, one of their first oh, wow. shows in New York. You know, in a, in a, at the, on the fringe, um, you know, I'm still doing it. You know, the, there's feature stories showing up in all major publications on the Marx Brothers and their impact. And, mm-hmm. and you know, it's funny. They're celebrating the, you know, the anniversary of the coconuts coming out just this past week. I think it's the 85th anniversary of the coconuts. Wow. Uh, and this is, these are getting feature stories. Yeah. Uh, Groucho, the 50th anniversary of, I think this. 50 or 60th anniversary of Groucho's correspondence with T.S. Eliot. <laughs> I swear to God, I swear to God, it's, it's like in major newspapers, it's being acknowledged. Oh. I mean, that's insane to me. But the, but that's what's going on now with Groucho. Mm-hmm. And the thing that, that I mean, but I've been a constant. I've been like celebrating it. I've seen the dips in his the interest. I've seen it kind of go up and down. But I've been I've been following his the impact of his humor and this type of humor from the time from the 19. 19- 74, 1973 till now. Yes. Sometimes I was a boy, mm-hmm. and I will. And I, you know, my goal is to keep doing. You know, is, is to keep doing it and keep sh- shaping it. And there was a great review I got in the Village Voice when I was 23. You know, <laughs> from Lori Stone, and it was, and and she kept saying, she said what you said. You know, Frank, he she shaped, she and I and I didn't agree, but it was flattering. You know, she, he he shapes and sh- and sharpens the humor for this. You know, I know for this. Particular show. I know what she meant. I had. I'm. Mm-hmm. I am taking it. I am. I am making it work for, for this particular <laughs> kind of show. This bio mm-hmm. piece. And there's no one. You know. I've, there's only one Groucho. But she was saying that I was filtering in a way that made it potent. Right. That maybe the guy couldn't do because he is not an actor. He was a great. He's a great comedian. But I have to come to him as an actor, and I have to like find what is it that that is going to. What do I have to take from him that's going to make it work in that moment in mm-hmm. time? Too. Without it just becoming that impersonation yeah. type, you know, let's go through the song and dance side of it. Yeah. Do you so, think so someone will eventually do a tribute show to your tribute show <laughs> to Groucho? I'm sure eventually when I'm too old to do it, <laughs> someone, someone will end up stealing. Sure, but, but I want to do what Hal Holbrook does, and I did. Oh, I yeah. Met, I met him recently. He's, this is his 60th year doing the show. He's 80, 89 insane. years old. That's incredible. I play this, the same venues he plays. I just got him a booking at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville. Because a friend of mine is the vice provost there, wow. and I, I just heard from him this week, and I and I and uh, and they're gonna book they're gonna book his show and they're gonna book his uh, the documentary on on his life. Wow! Wow! Uh, back to back. That's so cool. That's yeah, happening. That, that's happening. That's so amazing. This is Drea Weber. The I was gonna director. say, you know that Drea Weber has Drea Weber. Yeah. Drea's Drea Drea come back into it. <laughs> director of an evening with Groucho and starring right now Teatro Zanzani in a, in, a, in a current show as airlist mm-hmm. actress singer. Uh, Alec director. was telling me that you had you helped a pink with her uh, choreography. Yeah. Well, that's, and probably most noted for, if I may, yeah. choreographing "Glitter in the Air" ah. for Pink. Uh, that mm-hmm. was on the Grammys, but also trained, trained Pink and and, mm-hmm. and choreographed and Ariel choreographed her her tours, multiple tours of hers, and did Cher, and Britney and Taylor Swift. Wow. And the list goes on. Thank you, Katie Perry. That's always my lead-in, you know, trying to explain the <laughs> exquisiteness of what Drea does. Yeah. Is always, yeah, you see Pink, and she was up there on the room. Oh, yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, that was, that was Drea. Yeah, that's a big so you, you, it's like, <laughs> I know her. That always gets people appropriately in awe, and then yeah. you sort of lead in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so that's so – that's, and we've been working together as a, on, in Teatro Zanzani and other projects for four years. Mm-hmm. And so it was Drea who helps me, you know, a lot of the improvements, that, you know, the changes from Bellingham, where you saw it in Bellingham, Washington, mm-hmm. to here, it's changed 
2008. It, yeah, from 2008 to 2014. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Great. Nice. He's had multiple videos. <laughs> Nine shows and still rolling. Oh, that's you've, seen the, you've seen so, the morphing. Progression. That's yeah, a lot of so drink. Help me restructure it. Push-ups mm-hmm. and his ability mm-hmm. to leap over that couch, which I can only assume is... <laughs> <laughs> that tuck and roll. Yeah. Yeah. you got to tuck and roll and then go into yeah. the song. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's like jazz hands. Yeah. <laughs> that was actually something I was going to ask in terms of your collaboration. What, where did that begin in terms of taking a look at what was working in the show, and uh, how, how do you feel it's progressed since then? Since that Bellingham venue, which changed is, a lot. It, it really has. It seems well. like the space that you occupy on stage has expanded considerably. Because mm-hmm. as I recall, you were sort of on the couch, at the table on the couch, Jim Furston talking right. to him, and the, but it seems like there's a lot more physicality in terms of uh, your stage presence and I, I don't know if I'm just kind I think of I think that it's out of nowhere, a, I think the restructuring has helped you know we changed the you know Andrea and I w- worked at Teatros and Zani which is basically an elegant vaudeville mm-hmm. yes. where I play the comic host this latin lover Caesar interlocutor was that the interlocutor yes <laughs> well put yes. Andrea came in as 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 um, basically a 2010 take on Cleopatra, you know, mm-hmm. this really strong character mm-hmm. who sings and dances and does Ariel, and who had to, had to be a strong counterpoint to my guy, who was a takeover guy, mm-hmm. bombastic, huge, over-the-top character, <laughs> and very much of, in, the, in the vaudeville spirit, and very audience interactive. And so they, they've, I've done the show for many years until she, and then she came along, and, they, and she was able to go head-to-head with me, and so we became fast friends, she comes from a theater background as well. And she's worked on Broadway, and she's worked in regional theater, and we have a similar, similar passion for, 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 for live stage performance. Mm-hmm. And so that was the beginning. And then she saw me do, for the first time, saw me do Groucho four years ago in, mm-hmm. in, Col- in Denver, Colorado. Yeah. And then she, then she kind of, you can take it from here, but she said, you know, I think you can do something else. I know how good you are. I had the, this feeling, very strong feeling, that, that he could give himself more breadth to show his acting range. Mm. That there was, there was a kind of middle line between the incredible, like his incredible dexterity in, in improvising with the audience th- through, the, through uh, Groucho, and then the storytellers and storytelling and songs that are Groucho's to bring a little more shadow to it and using his ability, his skill mm-hmm. as an actor, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. to just give us a little peek into some of the parts of Groucho and the brothers' stories that we don't know. Right. Yeah. Those um, are always kind of the emotional peaks mm-hmm. in terms of those, right. which is amazing in terms of the overall texture of the show now. Mm-hmm. Because I, I recall that being an aspect, but it, I'd say that in terms of the restructuring that you mentioned, it seems a lot more prominent in that you go from laughing to those quieter lulls where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, now there's the Groucho the brother, Groucho the father, mm-hmm. Groucho right. the son sort of shines through briefly and then proceeds and you know back to laughing. But yeah, it, I, it avoids being maudlin, which I always think is really well, awesome. I'm, in I'm terms sensitive of, to that. Yeah. I can't stand with seeing actors... Indulge. Yeah. And, I, and, and uh, you know, the, the thing is always, you know, let the audience cry. Don't you? You don't cry. You know, let the, you know don't cry for them. way to put it. You know, and so I've always been sensitive that I don't like that kind of act. And I see, I've seen a lot of bad indulgent actors. But what's going on? I used to punch more as I was younger because I had a ton of energy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I was always punching away. And as I get older, and and when I don't, I feel I don't need to do that. I can lay back more. And Andreas can always push, like, you know, tell that story about his relationship with T.S. Eliot. <laughs> I want to represent more sides. And, and, she was, and she had to really push me to do it because I was locked in for so many years and so many hundreds of performances mm-hmm. doing the same show. Right. And so it took someone I really respected to go, you know what, this could be better. Mm-hmm. It ain't and broke, so, but... Yeah, but, yeah. And so, so now, exactly. I, now I do yeah. a Gilbert and Sullivan number. I do Tit yes. Willow, which is something I did back in college. <laughs> but I let go because I thought this is too... Maybe it's too... Serious, yeah. you know, and uh, I gotta stay on my feet and punch away. I don't, so I get to show the fact that he was—he loved classical music, he mm-hmm. loved opera, and he it was adored Gilbert and Sullivan. Mm-hmm. So, there's, and he played Coco, the Lord High Executioner, in <laughs> the Mikado right. on in, in, on television. Mm-hmm. So I do that. I, I talk about his correspondence with T.S. Eliot, so I can talk about the fact that he never made it past the sixth grade. But yeah. now he's corresponding with one of the greatest poets in the last hundred years <laughs> who loves his work. Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. talk about their correspondence and their friendship, and I'm able to address the fact that he's self-educated, 
that he's that we love him in part because he's so bright mm -hmm. that he can that he has that he has a remarkable vocabulary that he's articulate mm -hmm. in his comedy in his writing mm -hmm. in his interviews from the time you know from you know even up to his death he's able to you know beautifully express himself <laughs> comically so yeah and deflect as he ever always did with, with humor answer stupid jokes yeah. you know? i feel and <laughs> that's the beauty of the show it. too is that you i mean you are presenting all sides of of groucho in a way that most people wouldn't delve into i mean they just see the the movies and they'd see the you know the tv shows and everything they wouldn't think well what more is there to this person who's just making me laugh and and, and it's a good point she had because i as i said i don't think most of the audience knows who he is, so mm -hmm. they do have to like this work, this performance, yeah. this piece, based on just what they're saying, you know, with, with, with maybe zero context. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this has to work, the show. So bringing in these other, I have to trust that the audience is smart yeah. mm -hmm. and cares, and, 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 and sometimes we shortchange audiences. And Dre is smart. She knows, you know what, we don't have to, treat, you know, they're smart. They're going to pick smart. up, they know, talk about TSLA, sing a, a Gilbert Sullivan song, mm -hmm. talk, you know, I have a joke now, you know. Go to darker spots. I have a joke. It's like, my mother treated us all equally with contempt. <laughs> <laughs> and it gets a laugh, but that is a dark, profound, and he really, you know. And Especially he, if you've, you've actually read the about the you know, relationship that, yeah, that she had with the boys. It's like, yeah, you know, it, you know <laughs> they just playing favorites. You yeah, know? yeah. And then and there's was, this. Yeah, and he was not considered the favorite. And, yeah. and he was, mm -hmm. she would refer to him in, in Yiddish as the jealous one. She would, you know, the dark one. And she would, you know, and. She was trying to get the, the kinkiness out of his hair because it was too Jew, you know, to kind of make him more, you know, to, to more of a, looking more like a Gentile, you know, and, and she's Jewish, but just to help them fit in, mm -hmm. right. you know, and all this kind of, you know, I think so he had a certain amount of self-contempt and probably a contempt for her mm -hmm. on some very, uh, a very level, though he would say, he would say, my mother made us, I love my mother, but there was, a, you know, there was a lot in play there, and in, and in terms of his hostility toward toward females in, the, in, in his work. Uh, yeah, they were very violent towards women. <laughs> but also, but also but was, they were hostile to everyone. Yes. yes. It didn't matter. So, they, you know, it's just another way of working stuff out. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, but in his case, there was there was something, it came from somewhere, I think, with mm -hmm. him. Um, you know, the relationship with Margaret Dumont, to, you know, it works it, it, still, though. You know, yeah. she, you know it, it, it's a perverse romantic film relationship they, they loved each other and they loved each other in real life and and she he he always gives credit to margaret dumont you know no, what time we're, we have oh. a couple more minutes we're, you know, yeah no i wasn't sure if we needed but a typical on us and typical <laughs> typical margaret dumont my favorite joke you know i can see her right now in the kitchen bedding over a hot stove but I can't see the stove. <laughs> I mean, and she's taking it. That's like his idea of lovemaking. Yeah. And he just goes and goes and goes. And I mean, you, you can write. put up a building where you're standing yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah. I was telling him, my, one of yeah. my favorite Marx Brothers lines is actually from Chico. Uh, Chico, sorry. Um, and it's the, uh, I'll teach you to kick me. Like, why? I already know yeah. how. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. like, I'll teach you to. Well, all the playing, we're, we're playing with, you know, colloquialisms and, mm -hmm. and wordplay, you know, all the wordplay they do and the puns and the. You know, it's like the one morning I shut up on how I got my pajamas on. That's a great, that's a great yeah. example. Like, it's a great you know, joke. You could tell of like a five-year-old. <laughs> but but it's, it's it's a surprise though that mm -hmm. joke. You know, you've heard that for the first time. That's why people laugh because the we don't know where we're gonna go. I saw a whole article written about that joke recently. That's oh, like, wow. Talking about why do we laugh at that kind of wordplay? And there was examples of why. We, it's like we don't know where that's gonna go. One morning I shot an elephant in my pajamas. How we got in my pajamas, I don't know. Yeah. We don't know it's going to go there, unless. It, but we all know the joke. But it's so it's oh, that's a great joke. Yeah, it's a perfect joke in a way. It's like you think you know the trajectory, and then it just takes a hard is. right. And that's what we talked about taking those jokes that take that turn at the very end. Yeah. And that's why you know, that's why and and it makes it we're vulnerable to laugh. We're open to laughing because we think it's going to go one way. Mm -hmm. It's like and and then so we're, oh. We get tugged, mm -hmm. tugged away. Yeah. What's, what's the expected response? Exactly. No. And and yeah, I know. I know that you have to go and everything. Uh, so and thank you so much for I don't taking know if this the is time. Enough. We just barely touched the. No, <laughs> it's plenty. We sit here and talk to you for yeah, three hours. Yeah. If, if only <laughs> I could have gotten Four. here earlier. <laughs> right. So I should have sat through the whole thing and been like, no, just run me through it while you're doing it. Um, no, it's I mean, fine. Um, whatever I get, I'm happy with. I mean, and this is this is great. Um, uh, so before we kind of close this out, um, what uh, the the show is running from August seventh to the twenty fourth. Uh, oh yeah, Pre first preview is the seventh. Opening night is the eighth mm -hmm. of August. 
the last show is the 24th. Okay. And there's shows, you know, matinees. Mm-hmm. Great for all ages. Awesome. <laughs> and uh, where can people find you? Like uh, Facebook, Twitter? There's know? a, there's a evening with, an Evening with Groucho has a Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And they can go check that out. Okay. And um, what else? I've got a website, eveningwithgroucho.com. Okay. They can check my schedule there. Okay. And, um, and anyone who wants to come here, it's um, they can just it's Act Theater. I'm here at um, it's, it's actttheater.org. I, I think it's dot org. Yeah. <laughs> org or com. One of those. We'll put some we'll put some <laughs> links in there. Numbers until yeah. something comes up. So like Act Theater Seattle. Uh, and the great thing about Act Theater, I have to say, is that they have a rush. Uh, you know, they have a late last minute. You can come for any price. Oh, okay. So yeah. so students and younger and people that are economically challenged right now and for good reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see the show for basically any price, you know. So I suggest that, can. and you can pay what you can at the door. That's amazing. Can, yeah. People can come for five dollars or two dollars or fifty cents and see the show. That's amazing. Yeah. And, or they can go on Gold Star and see for half price. You know, you know, mm-hmm. people can if people have it, we prefer to do so the theater doesn't close. More yeah. <laughs> but you know, if people are strapped, you know, anyone can see the show. That's the great thing about this theater. It's one of the great theaters, and anyone who's not been to this theater should come to this theater. Definitely. It's 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 unbelievable. They have four different venues. Seattle's a great town for this kind of stuff. I talked to um, Jojo Stiletto, who runs the burlesque show, uh-huh. um, Theater Off Jackson. We are just talking about how uh-huh. Seattle is such a, a city that embraces um, theater and this kind of community. And, and this space I'm in, the Bullet Cabaret, I love this space. Mm-hmm. This is an amazing space it's for a your great, show. I have to be honest. Very, very intimate. Well, and, the, and this, this the stage yeah. fits. Yeah. Like, it's just, it feels like it's yeah. just... It's a 1920s building we're in. Yeah. yeah. So, and the original staircase. You know, it's I... like a theater in the round type vibe. Yeah, I, mean, I have done that. I, but, you know, the show is performed in 2,000 seaters to, this is a smaller, to 175 seater. You saw mm-hmm. it in a studio, smaller space. Yeah. That was small, but, tiny. but I played the range of, of, of venues, and that's, it's always, it's, you, again, you have to adapt to the space. Yeah. So this is a fun one. Which I'm always amazed the, by. I mean, considering that, that this is, I would say, probably the, the ideal, because you're at eye line, you can come down into the audience, the spots follow you, you've got control of the whole space. Yeah. But then to see you pull the exact same show, I've seen it in, um, Bothell, I saw it. In it's a larger Edmonds. space. Yeah, much larger. bigger yeah. traditional yeah. amphitheater. Yeah, like with six, seven hundred seaters. Yeah. yeah, and you're still, yeah. even though you know, you can't see those three hundred people up in the balcony, you still manage to control the space. I love playing big houses like that, the bigger houses. For That's got to be a one-man show. Yeah, you know, like eight hundred to twelve hundred. That's fun because it feels like a rock concert. <laughs> I would always feel that it would be the other way around, but but that's really interesting. It, it, when it's sold, when it's sold out or close to sold out, it's great to play that. When you know, mm-hmm. certainly when it's a smaller crowd, you know, and, and, and it varies from town to town of any of any of the, side, the kind of houses you get. Yeah. But this is ideal because it's generally packed. Yeah. And you're right on top of the people. Yeah. So that's great. So it's an intimate, fun setting. It's it's, it's, it's beautiful. beautiful.